Gregoire and Dan Beeson are smart enough to know better. Therefore, either Gregoire is smart enough to know better or Dan Beeson is smart enough to know better. Welcome to episode 30 of the podcast. A podcast of science, comedy, and ignorance. Oh, and it's also called Smart Enough to Know Better. I think they know that right now. Wow, I really dropped the ball this fortnight. (laughs) And this is episode 30. Episode 30! Released on Sunday, the 7th of October. That's a very important date if it's before Mm. the Sunday, the 7th of October, because you're going... Oh, that's right. I've got to go to the Smart Enough Expo. But it's, it happened today. It already happened, technically, yeah. in our future, but in your past. Spooky. Hey, do you remember a couple of podcasts ago we were talking about splicing animals together? Oh, indeed. Do I ever? And, I love that stuff. And trying to figure out which combination of any two animals could be the most horrifying to the human race. Yes, yes, there, of course. There was someone in our forums called Six Ball... And is, here, that what, is, that, is that what he wanted to splice together? Oh my goodness! Please don't tell me it was. Oh, it's so much worse. <laughs> this <laughs> good, good. This guy has a sort of a, a horrific future laid out for us all. Oh, okay. Are you familiar with a fish called the kandiru? Is this the one that this that is the toothpick? Pee? This is the toothpick fish or vampire fish. Right, and it's right, a yeah. type of parasitic freshwater catfish native to the Amazon River. Uh, some of them are it quite... It swims up your pee! It yeah. swims up your pee! Some, it, it swims up the eye of your penis. Hooray! And Six Ball decided it would be a clever idea to splice a kandiru with an electric eel. <laughs> I'm sad and happy at the same time. You would die of shock to your cock. Right, lovely. That's uh, well. Thank you, Six Ball. Thank you. I think you win that competition. Yes, uh, and you also the... win the prize of knowing you've kept me awake at night <laughs> and never bathing again. <laughs> oh, we didn't. I, I want to tell you something cool about the number thirty. The oh, number go thirty. On, then. Number 30, I think it's really cool for mathematical nerds out there. There is something called the square pyramidal number, and the square pyramidal number thirty is a square pyramidal number. And what that means oh, is can 30. I guess? Can I guess? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, okay. Yep. So, uh, like, a square pyramid has four sides and goes up to a right. point. So you'd start yep. with, like, one at the top, and then it would go down to four on the next level, so it looks like a pyramid. So five would be a square pyramidal number, and then yep. below that there would be nine, I guess. Yeah, three, three to a side. And so yep. then it would be five plus nine is 14. And then under yep. that there would be 16. So 16 plus... 14 is 30. Yeah, you got it exactly right. Yeah. Uh, 30 is the sum of the first four squares, which makes it a square pyramidal number. Dun, dun, dun. I like to think, Dan, that you, you must be sort of possessed by ancient Egyptians. That was a very Egyptian way of looking at it at that point. That's very good of you. Very exciting. Yes, I also make other people do all my work for me. <laughs> there was an issue recently because someone was an atheist or something and then they died and then the the Mormons can baptize you after you die. Yeah, yeah, that's very exciting, isn't it? Yeah. And there were a lot of atheists <laughs> getting really upset about this, going, That is yeah. that is wrong, that is awful, and I don't think that those atheists are very good atheists. <laughs> because please, please, please take, go on, a yeah. proper atheist realizes that when someone is baptized, someone splashes a bit of water over their forehead or however they do it when someone's died, and that's all that happens. There is no effect that can be measured. So yes. why would a proper atheist care at all if that happened? Nothing has happened. An atheist's well, point of view is that nothing has happened of any yes. consequence. Well, that's no, they're that's, just that's, being petty. Yeah, it's, 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 I suppose they're saying that, but then what they're saying is that person's now a Mormon, so that's the only problem I see. If I'm, and I'm an atheist. But they're but not. I, they're, they're a dead atheist, and they don't care. And no, 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 but the it's atheists still, still realise that, that nothing has happened. No, no, nothing has happened, but something has happened in the real world in the fact that someone then writes their name back into the Book of Mormon, or the Book of, you know, not, the, not the Book of Mormon, but the books of the Mormon people saying that person's now a Mormon. So it's kind of like being lied about after you're dead. So if a hundred years, it doesn't matter. No, 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 don't. don't, don't. Hey, it's honestly, inconsequential. Hang on, hang on, whoa, whoa, hang on. That's we'll ridiculous. all be dead in a hundred years, no, and no, then we'll be then, then heat death, heat death, Greg. Nothing matters. Nothing matters. Oh God! I'm... 
I, I got a nice a nice one. Make you feel a bit better now. Now that you've lost the crap about the, about dead things, how mm. about cute things? You know, you know, like the internet is basically there so that people who are bored can can jump online and look at cute little pictures of cats and bunnies yep. and bunnies holding cats, turtles, turtles, right? Turtles, alpacas. Yes. Yes, uh, other cute things. Well, and, and it's not just a waste of time, it seems. Yes, it makes you feel better. People go, oh. But in Japan, yeah. they actually decided to start at Hiroshima University. Scientists decided to start looking at the effects of kawaii on human behavior. So, uh, you know, K-A-W-A-I-I on K- human behavior. K-A-I-I. Wait, K-Y. What? K-A-W-A-I-I. You know, kawaii. That, that oh, thing, okay. You know, that, I don't. You've never heard of kawaii. Basically, it's that it's that noise that that girls want to do when they're trying to be super cute. They go kawaii. Maybe I'm saying it wrong. Maybe maybe lots of angry fangirls will now send me really really cute pictures of animals with shotguns or something. I don't know. But it's it's studying basically cuteness. It's studying cuteness. And what they've learned is if you do a hard task, if you then sit back and look at cute pictures of, of kitties and puppies and turtles and other cute things, then you do the same task. You will do a difficult task faster. It will make you more productive. So that's pretty intriguing. So looking at cute animal pictures makes you productive. Oh, wow. Because, I mean, I, there was some other research that I read which said that having, like, cute things in, around your workspace is a distraction and stops you from being able to focus on what you're doing. So I've taken uh. all the cute things away from my computer. Now I've got to bring uh. them all back. Well, I, think, I you know, hate science. Having... It keeps changing. Well, yeah, it's, it's not that I always think that the cute things around your computer may be a bit different because they're always there grabbing your attention. But if it's something that you click on and make a choice to go and look at, it's kind of like opening up your drawer, uh, looking at all the cute things and closing it again and getting back to work. Oh, so, that's good. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's my take I'll on it. I'll go into the cute room for, yeah, for yeah, my five-minute break. Yeah, that's there it is. That's right. You can go, oh, cute. So next time your boss, dear listener, is angry at you for looking at cute pictures of kitties, go, no, boss, I'm becoming more productive. I might have taken two minutes to look at that picture, but now I'm working at greater efficiency, and therefore I will save you one whole man hour over a year or something like that. I don't know, but yeah, it'll, it'll be good. And if that doesn't work, just draw his attention. Do he get with or no? Then he's cute with or is. It looks like it's people looting. Look at his little spots. Up to the microphone, there is a man standing before us. He looks like a philosopher. He looks like a bioethicist. His name is Dr. Kevin Lowe from the University of Queensland, and he is all of these things I've mentioned before. Uh, except I'm not actually a doctor. I'm a PhD student at oh, the University oh, of Queensland, oh. but I am a philosopher and bioethicist. That's twice we've done that now. We only get these ridiculous medical doctors. I hate those guys. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and they're awful stories about poo. That's right. <laughs> you, Kevin, do you have any stories of poo? Don't. No, no, no. no, oh, no, 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 no don't. <laughs> So we, we have here Mr. Kevin Lowe. Thank you for coming, Mr. Kevin Lowe. And he's here to talk today to us about logic. Oh, good afternoon. Well, what would you like to know about logic? Actually, before you do that, tell us a bit about yourself. Who are you and, and why should we care, you say? I teach <laughs> logic and ethics and statistics and introductory philosophy at the University of Queensland. I'm doing a thesis on the ethics of human genetic engineering. Ooh. And I argue with people on the internet about stuff. <laughs> so a logic and ethics bound? Because I would have thought that those would be two distinctly... Not non-distinctly. They're non-distinct. They're very different two things butting up against Ooh. each other. Like, because logic, you go, no, this is the right thing to do. Ethics, it... Oh, wait. <laughs> no, I think I've just what, answered my well, own question. You can see your problem there, because Spock said the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few, and Spock was clearly making some kind of ethical judgment there. Yeah. So what is ethics, then, compared to logic, then? Well, logic is a fuzzy word. In the mm. public imagination, when I say something is logical, I'm pointing towards a cluster of traits. I'm saying it's unemotional. I'm saying not necessarily concerned with how people feel, but with mm. what the facts about the universe are. Spock doesn't care about your emotions because Spock is logical. Yes, yes. In philosophy, logic is the area of study about things that inescapably follow from other things. That if I know A, do I know B? And if I know A, does it absolutely certainly follow B? That's what it's about. So when we present what we call a logical argument in philosophy, that means an argument where you absolutely have to accept the conclusion if you've bought all the premises. Right. So if Creationists I... hate them. Oh, indeed. <laughs> um, so if I say 
all unmarried <laughs> men are bachelors, Kevin is an unmarried man, then mm-hmm. it's absolutely inescapable that Kevin is a bachelor. You can't get out of it. Right. Once you've accepted those two premises, you are locked in to that conclusion. I and that's see. what philosophers call a logical argument. That's a lo- Okay, there you go. So that is basic logic. Now, there's different sorts of logic, isn't there? Indeed, there are all sorts of logic. There's what we call classical logic, which is the most basic kind of logic you'd learn first. Hang on, classical logic is Aristotle said it, therefore it must be true, but actually 90% of it he said was rubbish. Aristotle is a bachelor. (laughs) Bachelors are... No, wait. But seriously, everything Aristotle said, you look back and go, Aristotle said blah, 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 and 90% of what he said is wrong. Flies have six legs, not four legs. Aristotle said a lot of things, but he was the owner, the creator of logic for about 1,800 years. What Aristotle did was he had his list of, I believe, 30-odd, I could check the exact number, but I don't know it offhand, of Aristotelian syllogisms. These were arguments... argument forms that he mm. thought were good argument forms. Something right. like, if A is true, then B is true. A is true, therefore B is true. Okay. If Kevin is a bachelor, he's an unmarried man. Mm-hmm. Kevin is a bachelor, therefore he's an unmarried man. That's an argument form that right. works as long as A really does follow from B. Then if once you've shown that, you can, and you can show that A is true, B yeah. follows inescapably. And he had his list of 30-odd syllogisms like that. of them. Yeah. We haven't got time for 30 No, of indeed. Them. That um, doesn't seem like very many. That's 30 arguments in the world. There are only like seven stories in the world. You want 30 arguments in the world? And that was we how... have like six per podcast. <laughs> Shut up, and Sorry. your mother. And that was the last word in logic for about eighteen hundred years until some. Well, your mother, yeah, indeed, <laughs> yeah. your mama. That's right. And Plato comes to the uh, comes to the Senate, and I think you'll find, gentlemen, your mother. Ah, uh, oh, bravo! <laughs> why do they, why do Greeks all sound like British people in my world? Busy <laughs> bitchy maternum. <laughs> That's Latin. That would be Romans. Oh, yeah. burn, burn, beasted. Oh, I'm glad there's someone here to pull apart my joke. Yeah! Woo! Okay, but getting back to the question you asked me of how they relate, is you can make a logical argument about ethics. You just have to make it watertight. If I say it is never okay to hurt an animal unless you've got a really good reason, (laughs) and then I say... Torturing kittens for fun is not a really good reason. It follows inescapably mm. that you shouldn't torture kittens for fun. Right. So you can make a watertight ethical argument. You just need to have an ethical premise in there. One ah. of the premises has to make an ethical claim. You can say, it is not right to punch Dan in the testicles. Right. And then say, what? yeah, exactly. Oh. And then I could add, you know, part B, if I pay $50 to Greg to punch Dan in the testicles, he mm. will punch Dan in the testicles. Oh, yeah, yeah. Conclusion, it would be morally wrong to pay Greg $50 to punch Dan in the testicles. Ah, oh, because you said it's wrong. But there are some things people will say is wrong. For example, in the news recently, homosexuality is, is evil, or, or homosexuality, yeah, is wrong. It can be cured, and, and, and that's something people do say. They, they make the ethical claim, then, that homosexuality is wrong. Dan is a homosexual, therefore Dan is wrong. Mm. Indeed. And that, that's logical, but the, 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 in my mind, the initial premise is incorrect. Homosexuality is not wrong in my mind, but they would declare that as an inescapable fact. Well, I think it is a logical argument. Logic's more concerned with the structure of the argument, and if you buy those premises, you do have to buy the conclusion. Now, you can certainly attack an argument by saying, I think one of your premises is false. And if you can Uh... falsify one of the premises, you can show it's wrong, then you don't have to accept the conclusion anymore. If I say homosexuality is unnatural, unnatural things are wrong, Mm. you are homosexual, therefore you're wrong, that's Mm. a logical argument. If I can then come along and show hey, actually homosexuality is natural, animals get up to it all the time, yes, yeah. then you've falsified it. one of the premises, you no longer have to accept the conclusion. You can say, I think your argument was meticulously logical, and if the premises were true, I would agree that homosexuals are bad people for engaging in homosexual acts. Yes. But I've shown that one of the premises isn't true, so you're back to square one, you need a new argument. Oh, okay, so it's like you build a building on foundations, but, and then you work out the foundations are actually wrong, but it doesn't mean the building is incorrect. He's built the building meticulously, beautifully, to, to, for ten stories, but now the basement level, you know, like the concrete you built on, you shouldn't have built it out of jello. It doesn't stop the building itself from being well-constructed above the foundations. Is that what you're trying to say? Right, right. That sounds a bit tortured. That me? sounds a bit tortured? It sounds a bit tortured. Uh, uh, but you know what I'm saying? Because you, you, even if you get rid of the premise of this argument, you're saying the, argument still would, the logic of the argument still stands up. If A, then B. Yes, and it doesn't matter what A is and what B is. Mm, That said, mm. I also do teach moral philosophy, and I think it's just a fact that every moral claim is pulled out of thin air somehow, because Mm. there is no atom of evil or wavelength of sin or anything like that. There's no way you can do science to the universe and find out what's right or wrong. That's that's the name of the podcast. Wavelength of sin. The wavelength of sin. I love it. You have to start off with some kind of assumption which is just pulled out of thin air, and it could be 
pain and suffering is bad, or it could be you should follow the word of God, mm. or it should be you should behave in a natural way. And yeah, okay. all of them are pulled out of thin air, and you can't judge them by, on whether they're right or wrong, because none of them are right, none of them are wrong. They're not the kind of thing that can be true or false. What you've got mm. to do is say, does this lead to useful conclusions? Does it accord with my intuitions? Can we use this as a guide through our lives? I, I had an interesting argument about a long time ago about murder. We, we consider in this culture murder is wrong, taking someone's life. And for me personally, actually, I only took myself. I think murder is the worst crime out of all other crimes because it stops all potential. So once you're murdered, there's not much else you can do. What about torturing someone for the rest of their life? Uh, as opposed to painlessly killing them now. Well, the, oh, that's, oh, yeah, that's, yeah. oh, there you go. No, well, I, well, that's an interesting question because I would always say, no, no, the murder is the worst. So you're I, all about hope. Yeah, because at the end of the day... You hippie! I, I could still get out of it. Like, or someone could come arrest me. You can't... You, there's no such thing as forever, and there's no such thing as definitely hold me in that room forever. Uh, if, you, if you cut my throat, we're not talking about the pain of it. Yeah, yeah, we're talking pain. Obviously, murder... So torture's worse than murder. But if you're talking about ending all potential that person will ever have, then you, the murder stops it dead where there's still potential for that person to get out and, and live a life of some variety at the end. I, I know that's weird, but there you go. But we're discussing this. Wait, no, no, yep. no, I can falsify this one. Oh, yep. Because look at spiders. Like, <laughs> lady spiders, yeah. they breed with their mates and then they murder their mates mm. and then and that creates potential. I'm not, a, I'm not a spider and it's not murder to kill a spider to kill a spider. That's not the definition no. of murder in this case. But really. what if I ate you to survive? Well, you're still ending all my potential. But I'm creating more potential. Only you. You're no, destroying no. my potential. Yeah. That's the only potential I care about. No. Ah. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh. Of course it's uh. personal. Of course it's personal. I don't mean me only, but I mean as in, you're talking about, if someone, if you said to me, Greg, what's the worst crime that could be conflicted on you? For, I would say murder, ending, stopping my potential. Stopping your potential would what be... What if you were dying of cancer? And you were like, please end my life. But the, yeah, the murder would that's be... That's not murder then, is it? Yeah, putting it's... a pillow across you no, and murdering. No, 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 no. Yeah. If, if I say to you, please... The police would not agree. If I said to you, Dan, in my mind, if I said to you, Dan, please kill me, it's no longer murder. I've, I've asked you... In your you mind, to... murder is a legal thing. Oh. Is, am, I not right? am I not right? I believe in the eyes of the law it might be considered murder. Yeah. Um, murder is often defined as unlawful killing. Yeah. Unlawful if killing. you don't have the law on your side when you whack that pillow across the dying person's face, that is an unlawful killing. However, so you can't murder someone without the law being involved. The law is an ass. The law is an ass. That said, if you wanted to define <laughs> murder as immoral killing, for but example, who does that? No, murder is unlawful killing. Oh, okay, we're going to go over the law now, are we? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so basically, you should go to jail for downloading TV shows and music. I have never done. Sh- shut up. <laughs> So all lawful, all laws, all good laws are good, huh? All law- Dan Dan Beeson says all laws are good. Therefore, Dan follows all laws. I want to know if Dan is good. Actually, I've got, I've got a logic That's question logic, to get indeed. Kevin back involved in the conversation. <laughs> I heard, and I, this might be a maths question rather than a logic question, <laughs> but I heard that 2 plus 2 does equal 4, but it takes ages to actually prove that. Is that a maths thing or a logic thing? That would be more of a maths thing mm, than a logic okay. thing. It seems to me it's going to be true by inspection for everyday arithmetic like we learn in school. Mm. And you can demonstrate yourself to your own satisfaction. You can get two cookies and then get two cookies and then count That's them up what and I thought. four yeah, cookies. Yeah. That's close enough to a mathematical proof that I would be pretty happy with that. <laughs> it, is, it is very hard, though I know what you're talking about. I have to look it up. I can't remember where it is. But to actually prove 1 plus 1 equals 2... In, in rigorous mathematical proofs, mm. it does take like four or five pages of crabby writing, and it's pretty hard. But we won't go into that. That is more of a mathematical. Thing. Okay. Yeah, so that, that's something else. Uh, no. I believe, I mean, this does actually relate to logic, that I believe that that is true if you're trying to justify number theory in terms of set theory. And oh, okay. that is, I believe, the standard move nowadays, that you justify number theory in terms of set theory and say, well, if you add this set to this set, you've now got two sets. And getting from the ground up, starting with some basic axioms of set theory and then getting to modern number theory with primes and squares and all that stuff mm. does take a bit of work. But okay. for primary school purposes, you just say 2 plus 2 is 4. Yeah. That's our starting assumption. Yeah, well, and right. you work it's, from there. There's always something further back, yeah. Okay, so is there much well, of a crossover between maths and logic? There's it, enormous crossover between okay. maths and logic. In fact, if you go to the philosophy department at the University of Queensland, you'll find people teaching classical logic. And if you go over to the maths department, you'll find them doing a subject called discrete mathematics, ETE, not EET. Uh, 
Do I see my mathematics? Yeah. Just come in the room. I told you to stop coming over to my desk. They are learning exactly the same things. Logic is a branch of discrete mathematics. The difference is in the maths department, you're expected to learn four times as much in one semester, and the tests are much, much harder. (laughs) There we go. Now, we're talking about the the Aristotelian syllogisms. Aristotelian, indeed. Aristotelian syllogisms, uh, 30 of them. But, of course, that wasn't going to last for all of time. So 1,800 years it lasted for, but it, was, um, it got pared down. 1,800. Um, well, it didn't get pared down as someone said, look, why don't we have a mathematical-like theory mm. that explains these 30 syllogisms, but can also explain why every other possible valid argument mm. is a valid argument. And so people made up what we call classical logic, where we've got these logical operators like and, and if, then, and oh. or. It's programming language. Yes, it is. This oh. is the base, This what? is how computer programming started, what? with philosophers doing what? logic. What? Oh, Philosoph- wow. Philosophers created... Oh, you people... No, Aristotle laid the groundwork for computer programming, and we wouldn't have web pages and things today were it not for these previous work of philosophers who created this mathematical language in which to express precise, rigorous relationships between ideas. I blame him for all bad web pages. (laughs) Dancing Jesus. I saw the worst web page the other day. This is so off topic. (laughs) Beyonce.com. Don't ask me why I was going to Beyonce.com. No, no, I wouldn't. But just full-screen video looping in the background oh. of this website. It was the most disgusting thing I've ever seen in my life. Check it out. <laughs> now, philosophy. I always saw philosophy, in my mind, as a, as a scientist. <laughs> I like to think of philosophy as pre-science. So before there was science, before there was rigorous testing of things, and, and that's what I consider science. Philosophy, then magic, then science. Well, no, no, philosophy, I, I, no, 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 it's, for me, it's, I think philosophy is kind of like this, originally, I'm not, I'm not saying modern philosophy, but more ancient philosophy. Philosophy was actually the, like the weird cloud fuzzy thing that both religion and science sprouted from. Very, very different magisteria went off in their own directions, but the base roots were both philosophy. So, And I always found that does philosophy still have a, a place in the world? We still need philosophy now that we have religion and science. I think we do. I mean, as you say, back in the day, philosophy was just the word for learning stuff. Mm. That's why in every discipline other than medicine, you get a PhD, which stands for Doctor of Philosophy. Mm. If you've got a physics degree, you've actually got a philosophy degree, because (laughs) back in the day, it was all philosophy. And then as individual disciplines started to get useful, they span Mm. off and demanded their own department and said, we're doing something (laughs) useful in chemistry now, we're our own department. We're doing something useful in physics now, we're our own department. Uh, So philosophy is the tree and all of the other... Useful things are the fruit. <laughs> you could look at it that way, or you could look at it as... Was that insulting? Were you no. trying to be insulting then? It sounded vaguely insulting. Well, calling you a fruit? No, no, no. no, no I call, think I was pretty it. much nail on the head, thank my you, friend. Thank you, Causing the call, Calling philosophy the unuseless, the useless bit in the middle. That's what you kind of implied there. I just, just summed up that philosophy is the thing that brings us all oh, the useful okay. things. Oh, that's nice. Okay, sorry. In a very sort of useless and tenuous... Woody and way. Woody. Mm. Or you could see He's philosophy... Right there. As the rump that's left over when everything we can do something with has been taken away mm. and all the completely useless <laughs> stuff is left in one place. But that would be unfair because we are still the department that teaches critical thinking, we're the department that teaches logic, we're the department that okay. teaches epistemology and the philosophy of science, which is important stuff. But we've also got things like metaphysics, which has never been shown to be of any use to anybody ever. <laughs> <laughs> it's all philosophy because it hasn't turned into anything useful oh. yet. That's almost like there is one other wrinkle, though, that we have to add, and that's that philosophy has a methodology built in. I mean, homeopathy isn't philosophy. Crystal healing isn't philosophy. Oh. The reason is that philosophy, or at least analytic philosophy, which is what I do in the philosophical tradition that comes from the USA and England and Australia, mm. uses logic and reason to investigate problems which are important and which science can't solve. Um, like so what, sir? How dare you? Well, the question of how should we live? How should we treat each other? Uh, what should we do about global warming? Now, yeah. science can tell us global warming is happening. Mm. And it can tell us if you put this much carbon in the atmosphere, we should expect this many degrees of temperature change. Yes. That's going to lead to these consequences. It can't tell us what the right thing to do is, what the best trade-off is between the comfort of current people and the health and safety oh, of future people and the welfare of all little birds and animals and things will have to move up or down mm. in order to maintain their standard of living. Um, it can't can't tell us what the right thing to do is. It can just tell us what the consequences are. I didn't think it was philosophers. I thought that was big business made all the decisions for us. Oh, zing! Um, <laughs> Speaking well, of useless trees. <laughs> 
Oh, philosophy is almost aggressively unconcerned with changing the world. There are philosophers who change the world. There are people mm. like Peter Singer, who's had an enormous impact on the world. Mm. And go back to the 1970s before 1974, and animal liberation was not a word that existed. It was not a thing. There were right. some people who liked animals, but there were no animal ethics committees, and there were no animal rights organisations taking charge of the issue. Peter Singer and other philosophers in England started mm. rabbiting on about in 74. And rabbiting on. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. And 35 right. years later, every university <laughs> has, an eth- has an ethics department laying down the law about what you're allowed to do with animals. Oh, okay. um, there are all sorts of animal rights protection laws, and I think that's in large part due to philosophers. And a lot of people, and these people annoy me, like to run the argument <laughs> that moral philosophy doesn't do anything, that moral beliefs as a society just change as a result of inexorable historical forces and economic forces, sure. and all philosophers do are articulating the nonsense of the times. They say, okay. we had slavery because slavery was economically necessary, the Emancipation Proclamation happened because slavery was no longer necessary, and all the people people saying slavery is wrong we're just reflecting the economic needs of the times right. and i reckon that is total bollocks uh, because <laughs> yeah oh fight why, why though uh, why well, I, got... can, I can i can see that that a philosopher is merely explaining how the world is not not leading the world forward i, I can see that argument well for one we can point to issues like animal liberation there has mm. been no enormous economic change in the last 30 years that should lead to a change in the way we treat animals. You can't point to any change in economics or society that made us need to treat cows better or treat lab rats better. Wow, so philosophers are directly responsible for Alicia Silverstone getting nude. And PETA. We did that. Yeah. That was us. <laughs> well, that's so you're, you're not helping your cause. You're no, not no, no. helping your cause. But Alicia Silverstone in the nude. That, that, you're old. That's an old person thing you just said. She is not relevant anymore. I'm oh. sorry, Alicia, but you're not. Blast from the Past is a great film. <laughs> Batman and Robin, not so not, much. Not, they're also old. But also I can point to philosophers like Jeremy Bentham, the founder of utilitarian moral philosophy. He was against slavery and he was a big moral reformer in his time mm. who was decades or centuries ahead of his time on ethical issues. And I, I think it's because he'd figured something morally important out. And lastly, the big, and I think the killer counter-argument mm. to the we-are-just-reflecting-histories norms uh, <laughs> yeah, argument is, well, look, what about every single morally nice thing that we could do with our current technology yep. and economics that we don't? Like what? Well, look at the USA. It's, um, in many ways, mm. it's a libertarian dystopian nightmare. They have very poor social <laughs> security. And they've only recently very slightly moved in a, a step towards socialised health care and mm. so forth. You if, mean Obamacare? Yeah, Obamacare. Yeah, when I say that, you've got to go dum-dum-dum. Everyone, OK. Obamacare! Dun-dun-dun. Thank you. Oh, dun-dun. Oh, forget Sorry. it. Sorry. We have to do otherwise. You, you come across as a screaming lefty or something. I have no, no idea. So why is it the case <laughs> that not everywhere is like the socialised countries? Yeah. Well, if it was just the case that the absolute second we had the technological and economic capability to do something nice, we Mm. did it, Mm. then I think the world would look very different. I mean, in a way, it's an incredibly optimistic view of humanity. (laughs) The minute we didn't need slavery anymore, the very second, boom, we got rid of it. Straight away. The argument, it looks like a cynical argument. You're saying, oh, there is no real morality. It's just people doing whatever suits them. But in a way, it's incredibly idealistic. It's saying the second we can be nice, but we it... are the nicest people we can be. Yeah, and... I can see that you're saying that, but I also kind of put a counter-argument to this. I, 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 I do need a lot of cotton in I reserve do... <laughs> just to make sure. And, and, and make sure... Yeah. I, I have another argument. It's not philosophers who make that decision. It's just some... In the end, people start going, I really don't like the idea of, of having a human being work for me as a slave. Some people do have a moral... But surely they'd just be practising philosophy when they... But that's not a ph- is that what you're trying to do? It's not a philosopher doing it. It could just be, it could just be someone going... Like, okay, say so women might go... Suffrage. Um, women's suffrage. Women's yeah. suffrage. The, um, the, and they, the, did a philosopher go, we should go that way? And women went, yes. Or did a lot of women go, hang on, this is crap. And therefore they went in that direction. Well, it's you, self-started. you can point to philosophers before the advent of the women's suffrage movement saying that they think women should have the same rights as men because... But I'm assuming you could also point at philosophers who would say, say women the opposite. never yes, have. Yes, indeed. You yes. can do that. So you, so you can always find a philosopher to say what you want them to say. Oh, they? of course. Ah. Uh, Always, anyway. So maybe, so you could find a philosopher who said, "Oh, look, killing the Jews in World War II was a really bad idea." Or we'll, the, the, the final solution is awful, terrible. We should never do it. The pre pre the war. But I'm sure you could find philosophers also who would go, "No, no, no. We're all for the final solution." That's awesome. be harder to find them. Well, now they'd be but, hiding. But you know what I'm trying to say? I'm not. I'm not trying to catch you up. I'm just intrigued. If is, is it just? Is there an argument for everything? And you can just pick and choose the argument as, and follow the way history went. 
you probably could do that, but the point I was making, I was not trying to assert that philosophers sitting around in university departments stroking their beards were the drivers of all social progress. <laughs> you can point to people like Peter Singer and say, you know, I reckon him and his colleagues in the UK who mm. started the animal rights movement did make a difference, but I'm not saying that all social change right, comes okay. from the philosophy department. Sure. But I will say that these people are he's, doing he's more philosophy. His There's a lot of fist clenching going on. You can't see it. It's very impressive. I can't imagine why. <laughs> When you get up and say, I think women should have the same rights as men, you are doing moral philosophy. You are making mm. a moral claim about how the universe should be. And mm. it might be a more or less confused or more or less rigorous philosophical claim, but you're doing moral philosophy. You're having mm. an argument with someone else about how the universe should be and advancing an argument for your vision of how the universe should be. Mm. Okay. That makes sense. I can see that. The ability to think, I think, is very important. I, um, there's a lot of fuzzy-headed thinking. A lot of it's, I think, a lot of people, it's based on me, 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 me. I'm fine for you, Dan, to have stuff. But as, long, as long as I don't lose anything at all. I'm just going to start grabbing stuff no, from your shelves. But no, no, no. I make sure I don't lose everything, anything. You, can't, you can have anything you want as long as I don't lose any of my resources I already have. That's, that's a big problem. Hey, so, look at that over there. Oh, ah. <laughs> The, so people need to sort of start thinking, well, maybe not. that's not the best way to be. You have to be start thinking, learning logically and ethically how to think and how to act, and therefore the, you get the best outcome for the largest number of people with the smallest number of resources. Once again, that kind of... There's a branch of philosophy and mathematics called game theory, which is the mm. analysis of behaviour of hypothetical agents, imaginary beings, who only care about themselves. Mm. They want what's good for them, and they absolutely do not care about anybody else. They don't care if you're doing well, they don't care if you're doing badly, they just want to maximise their own well-being. Right. And game theory is the analysis of social and economic situations, assuming everyone behaves like that. And it does work out really well for predicting human behaviour in many cases. That's really sad. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's just logical in some cases. I mean, suppose I'm thinking about building a bridge, and I say, well, look, what, here's how we'll do it. We'll get a whole bunch of subscriptions. We'll start a Kickstarter web page. Mm. Everyone will kick in 50 bucks, and if we make it to 20 million, we'll build a bridge. And I thought about building a bridge once. And if I we got over it. <laughs> I'm going to tweet that one. That's a... That's... And if we get 60 million, we'll build another tunnel. And mm. once the bridge is built, everyone can use it. I think a rational, a game theory rational person would look at that and say, you know, I reckon the odds of them being exactly $50 short are really low. So I'm not going to contribute. Uh. I'll wait to see if everybody else contributes. And if they all build the bridge, they've paid for it. And I'll walk across that bridge happy as a clam, not having paid a cent. Right. But yeah. if everyone thinks like that, no one builds no the bridge. No one builds a bridge. Okay, well, what you have to do is abandon the idea, as scientists already have, that you can ever be absolutely certain about anything. You can just right. have relative degrees of certainty. How cer Sigma! Sigma! Indeed. How certain am I that I would die if I jumped off a 20-story building? I am so certain I would bet you anything you like that that's going to be the outcome. If you say, no, I'll bet you five cents against your life that a person who jumps off a 100-story building onto concrete will die, I'll say, I will take that bet, because mm. I could do with five cents. I might need it for coffee one day. I'm that certain... <laughs> I'm not 100% certain, though. I'm just 99.999999, something with a lot of nines. You could fall and land on a cat and live. Yeah, I specified onto concrete just to get out of that. Oh, yes. okay, right. So, right, so literally, literally onto concrete, okay. Yeah, the solution is to abandon absolute certainty and say, right. well, maybe we can just have really, really high but justified levels of certainty in a claim. And now we're getting into the realm of epistemology, which is the philosophy of knowledge. Epistemology. The philosophy of knowledge, how we can know things, how we can justify things. Okay. And, and not the study of fish, which I initially thought. Or, um, or going Wouldn't that to the be ichthology, which is, doesn't Ooh. sound anything like epistemology? That's right. But, but, but Pisces, Pisces is the fish. Oh, I see. Epis A Pisces epistemology. Epistemology. Cooking is fishing, cooking. It's probably Greek versus Latin again. Yep. Mm -hmm. That's been my guess. Anyway, so instead of going around. No, I'm 100% sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, you fool, Bob! Instead of going around uh, collecting N instances where N is 10 or 50 or 100 of Dan saying something smart no. or Greg saying something smart mm. and then oh, concluding, yeah. I've got 100 examples of Greg being smart, therefore I know with absolute certainty Greg is smart. What you do is you go around collecting observations which are more likely to be observed in a universe mm. where Greg is smart than in a universe where Greg is dumb. And every time you see such an observation, you massage your probabilities a little bit. You, you've never met Greg, you're 50-50 whether he's smart or not, and Greg says something smart. And they've listened to the podcast a few times too, so. 
Indeed. Like, and you know, it goes up to 60. So something else smart, it goes up to 69. Says, and eventually Greg says so many smart things that you're 99.99999% certain that Greg is smart. And you'll then start performing logical deductions, which that, which are almost watertight. Saying Greg is smart, smart people don't bang their heads on the washing machine when it doesn't mm. work. Therefore, Greg will not bang his washing machine, his head on the washing machine when it doesn't work. Yeah, maybe he does. I mean, this is, I've yes. only got 99.99 something percent right. certainty in this. I don't have absolute certainty. And you know, if I came, and you might be starting from the wrong premise in the first it place, totally it could wrong. do. And yeah. if some I... smart people probably bang their heads on the wa- on the yes, the and thingy machine, the washing machine. Yes, true. The thingy machine. The thingy, the it's the thingy thing inside. Dan, another put that down for another thing, dumb thing that Dan just said. Mm-hmm. <laughs> See, my belief in his intelligence went down a little just bit again. Bit, okay, so does this tie into Karl Popper? Oh, it does in a way. Popper uh, revolutionised the philosophy of science by saying, the way I reckon science works, I'm being Popper now, the way I reckon science <laughs> works is you put up a hypothesis on a stand and the hypothesis might be Newton's laws of gravitation or whatever, mm. and then everyone comes around and they throw rocks at it. Mm. And if you can knock it down, you say, that hypothesis stunk, um, everyone's got to pick up the pieces, build them into a new, better hypothesis, put it back up on the stand, and everyone throws rocks at that. Right. And eventually you get something that's so good that despite all the scientists in the world throwing rocks at it, it hasn't broken yet, and you say, right, that's our theory of gravity, that's our theory of quantum mechanics. But it's only, you, can, you can only say it's only right up to this point. Exactly. Any minute right. someone along could come along with a new rock, smash, gone, got to start again. So no sacred cows. So Karl Popper's really saying, don't, we, only know, we can only say to a certain level of certainty that we're certain <laughs> and, that, and that we shouldn't have any sacred cows because at, the, at any moment it could get knocked down. Yeah, well, I'm talking about a specified mathematic degree of certainty. Karl Popper, mm. it was pretty much all or nothing. It was either not yet falsified and hence you should act like it's real yeah. or falsified and it's dead and gone. Um, whereas, oh, so he didn't have shades of grey. He was actually saying, so, but but that you couldn't then. I mean, if that's what you're well, saying, that's what logic is. But if, that, no, but if, that's, if you're saying if what you just said then is 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 right, then therefore Karl Popper could believe in nothing technically. No, he could only believe in a, a list of claims which we had tried to falsify and had not yet falsified. Right. And ah. the, the problem, I mean, Popper captured a really important thing about rationality and about science, which is that every rational belief has to be falsifiable. If there's no way a belief can be falsified, it's not a rational belief. It's some kind of article of faith. And that right. applies in all sorts of cases. You can have beliefs that are just simply unfalsifiable ever in principle. If I say, I believe there is an all-powerful God and they're hiding from us. Mm. You could <laughs> never, ever disprove that yes. because they're all-powerful. Well, and, do... and they're hiding. Yeah, yeah so, exactly. Yes. Um, that's completely unfalsifiable. Or another unfalsifiable belief might be Bertrand Russell's teapot. He said, mm. I speculate there might be a teapot somewhere between the orbit of Earth and Mars orbiting the sun. Mm-hmm. And it would be far too small to see with any telescope, so you can't prove it's not there. Mm. And that, too, is unfalsifiable. In theory... Some sufficiently advanced species could scan that entire space, but we can't. Yes. So from our point of view, that's unfalsifiable. Unfalsifiable, therefore. And, yeah, people have unfalsifiable theories about the universe as well. They might say, if I give you this homeopathic potion and it cures Dan's cold, that's because mm. homeopathy works. And if I give him this homeopathic potion and it makes Dan's cold worse, mm. then that was the potion doing it. It's called aggravation, and that's part of the path to the cure. Oh, and right. so whatever you observe, it counts as evidence for your belief. That's another example of an unfalsifiable belief. And all of these are bad, unless mm. when someone channels your belief, you can point to specific observations about the universe, which, if you saw them, would cause you to abandon that belief or downgrade your belief in it. It's unfalsifiable. And in philosophy, once you show something's unfalsifiable, flick, it's gone, it's dead, forget it. It's not a rational belief. The fact that I have learned about philosophy is totally unfalsifiable, and therefore I have learned something today here on the podcast. And what I've learned today is that the only thing that we can prove for, for sure about anything is the things that are wrong. Strictly speaking, you know, I think Popper was wrong in that. He thought you could falsify something and prove forever that it's wrong, and he can't. All he can do is push your degree of belief in it way down to Mm 0.000001%. You can never be completely sure something is wrong. You can be completely sure something is wrong under no possible circumstance in the universe because some new observation can come along the very next day. And the universe is very big. Yeah, and (laughs) prove that it was right after all. So it's, the only thing I've actually learned today is I don't know anything. <laughs> we, we, you don't know anything with certainty. Thank That's you. That's exactly right. No one knows anything with certainty. And with that, we go from this more confused than we ended before. Thank you, not Dr. Kevin Lowe, bioethicist and philosopher at the University of Queensland. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do have something to talk about, Greg. Do you? Do you I really? Do. I do. do you? 
I, you sound very argumentative I'm, right from the start. I'm quite. I'm, I've got my back up. Oh. Yeah, because someone on my Twitter feed reposted this thing about alkaline therapy for fighting cancer. Right. Have you ever heard about alkaline therapy? No, no, I have never heard of alkaline therapy. Now, some foods are alkaline and some foods are acidic. And apparently, cancer can't survive in an environment of like 4.5 on the pH scale. Right. So that's so, slightly acidic, yes. Uh, oh, hang on. No, mate. What's the other one? Hang on. Anything lower than seven is acidic. Uh, wait, no, isn't it zero to... Oh, hang on, the scale's zero to 14. Look at that. Yes. Okay, so... Um, so seven, seven is, is water. Okay. Is neutral, yeah. So our blood pH has a narrow range of around 7.4 mm-hmm. on the pH scale. Now, if the blood yep. falls below 6.8, our yep. cells stop functioning and death follows. Yay! And if they go above 7.8, mm-hmm. so below 6.8 or above 7.8, 7.8 is too alkaline. Right. So you don't want your blood to do that. No. Now, with alkaline therapy, the idea is you eat lots of alkaline foods and then your body ups the alkaline to just under 7.8, so like 7.5, which apparently destroys cancer. Oh, my goodness. We've solved cancer. Woo! But it's being kept from us because of big pharma, because people can't make lots of money by making you eat cabbage. Right. I I mean, the cabbage people. I would imagine. Yeah, why, why is it? Why isn't Big Cabbage just like sent their cabbage ninjas to to take over? <laughs> uh, yeah, and and uh, kick in the doors and everyone eat cabbage. Boom, 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 boom. Eat the cabbage, and that'd be awesome. So I looked up this stupid thing, and I found I found this information on a a, a website called Truth Is Treason, <laughs> right? Which uh, is it, it, which is not a good start to trying no. to, to woo me over. This is all the work of a doctor. And I went, a doctor? And he said, yeah, she's a registered doctor of chiropractic medicine. And I'm like, ah, oh, well, then she's not <laughs> Then she's not a doctor. And I wrote up this response to go, that person is not a doctor. And I did just to do a little bit of bookkeeping. I went, I'll just check on Wikipedia. You can now do a PhD in chiropractic oh. medicine. Oh, As of 2010, oh. in Australia... You can be called doctor uh, for doing uh, chiropractic medicine. Now, there uh, is a caveat. You are only allowed to write doctor if you also write in brackets chiropractic. Yes. Like, yes. you can't just fool other you're people. Doctor, but, you're a doctor of philosophy. You're not an MD. You're just, it's frustrating. No, ah. no. You're a doctor of bullshit is what you are. Chiropractic. Well, I swear yeah, to well. God. Yeah, do you want me to crack your neck? I'll break your bones. I'll kill you with a stick. Don't let them touch your neck. No, no, we no. Discussed that so already. Many, we've mentioned this before. There are so many studies that show that after getting uh, neck manipulation, your chances of increased stroke and aneurysms, that sort of stuff, is up by 12%. So you just let these lunatics near your neck. You're just asking for a brain clot and the ability to forget your mother's face forever. Oh. So it's just... Uh, I forgot to tell you about the, the fun thing about the alkaline therapy, of course. Oh, is yes, that okay. your so stomach that... acid is really acidic. Yes. And so whatever you put into your body, your body is really good at turning that into pH neutral stuff, like exactly what your blood needs. You can't sure. change your body chemistry by eating lots of acidic foods or lots of alkaline foods because all it will do is it will leach all the acids or alkalines out of your bones in order to do it. So if, yes. you eat, so if you're eating lots of acidic foods, it'll leach your bones to get up to the right alkaline level. That's right. Although Don't you sh- will have crazy pee. Like your pee, if you, like, it'll be stingy or something. Oh, that's not good. Yes, no, stingy pee is always very bad, especially if it's cuts and things. Ah, <laughs> It makes it much more painful, too, when an, an electrified candero swims up your penis. <laughs> uh, space! Oh, again? Space! <sighs> Of course, I can't do a podcast without mentioning space or something that looks at space. That's not me. There is a telescope that's just been opened up in Western Australia called the Australian Square Kilometre Array Pathfinder. And it's 36 antennas, each 12 metres across. And they like to look into the universe and to stare at all sorts of stuff. So, Uh, I I mean, just a sidestep for a moment. These, like, these are, they're radio telescopes, and is this yeah, yeah, a radio yeah. telescope? 
It is, it is, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, a telescope is when you stick, you look through glass and the glass makes things big. Yeah. So what's going on with the radio telescope? Are you you just measuring the radio signals and... From space, okay. yes. So you're not and actually looking at the stars, you're kind of listening, listening. to the... Technically, you're listening to the stars, yes, exactly right. Is it, and you're well, listening to the electromagnetic radiation? Yeah, yeah, but that's yeah, the light. It's all the same thing. Radiation. Light is electromagnetic yes. in a very specific band, and this yes, is just listening right. to a different band. Yes. Well, I mean, like radio hipster. waves. It's, it's a, <laughs> that's right. You would, it's the yes, hipster you, of telescopes. I, <laughs> I listen to the uh, radio waves. You wouldn't have, you wouldn't have heard of them because you have ears. Uh, but it's yeah, it's it basically that's exactly right. It, it, you're looking at another part of electromagnetic spectrum that uh, that comes down to Earth. So uh, yeah, but this is it's good that Australia has this. Uh, lots of really exciting science can start happening with this very large detector. Now, the, why this? Why it has to be so big? People, um, when I was sort of yelling at the start, it's 36 with these big antennas, each 12 meters tall. It's uh, spread out over a wide, wide area, a square kilometer. Strange enough, it's in the name, uh, the Australian Square <laughs> Kilometer Array. I, I, I actually, I had to admit to the listeners here, <laughs> I was checking through my notes going, oh, man, I didn't write down the area of this thing. <laughs> and I went, wait, it's called the, you idiot, uh, Gregoire. Anyway, uh, so this thing, and why you have it so wide, it's kind of like, imagine, like you have a little eye, of an optical telescope, I should say, it's like a light bucket. It, it, it's collecting light and focusing it into one point. Now, the bigger the light bucket you can get, like the bigger area you can suck the light, well, well not suck, but you can pull the light through from, of course, you get a, a much better view of something, a bigger telescope, a as long as taking into account things like density and air and that sort of stuff, you actually start getting a better picture. You can see more detail further distance. And that's why the square kilometer ray uh, pathfinder is, is really, really cool. And in fact, it's, it's so wide, it can pick up fainter signals and kind of it, the radio waves that, that are dropped over a wider area, you can, you can start getting a better, a better definition of that radio wave. You want to look at it that way. So you can see further and you can, you can get more information out of, out of these radio waves as well. So very, very exciting. Yay for Australia. Well done, Australia and the, for space research. I'm going to ask a question that might be very, very stupid or might be very, very clever. I'm not sure what yet. But <laughs> when light hits the human eye, it goes through the lens and then it focuses and flips upside down on the retina. Do, yes. Does the does the bigger ray flip the image upside down? Um, well, remember, it's, it's a radio wave. It's yeah. not a... It's, is it, when I, but is it, is okay. it focusing... Out? When I look at the... Well, well let, me, let me just... I'll give you an example. With my telescope, I have an 8-inch Dobsonian, like a gla- an optical telescope, and when I look through my eyepiece, I'm seeing everything upside down. Yeah. And, and why I see everything upside down is uh, the way the optics work. So I see it upside down. Now, you could put another bit of optic uh, glass in there and, and, and flip it the right way up, as you would look at it in the sky. But, of course, the more glass you put between you and the universe, the more it degrades the image. So I'd rather see it upside down than, than see it degraded. Mm. So is the radio telescope seeing it flipped upside down? I'm, my guess would be this is a bit of a nonsensical question because... It converting a radio signal into electrical signals and then just displaying those electrical signals on a computer. So uh, it's not as if it's like a camera or, uh, or anything like that, and it's not, it's not putting a real image somewhere. Now, maybe there's a radio astronomer listening to this right now going, Greg was an idiot, but as far as I'm if aware... If you are, please tell us. We've got some <laughs> astro geeks on here. So That's if you're true. like, oh, I've got the answer to this, please tell us. Please do. We'd love to know. But as far as I'm aware, it's it's converting the radio signals into uh, into electrical signals and and displaying them on bar graphs and things. You you and then of course you can extrapolate a picture, a radio a picture into the optical spectrum based on the radio. But it's not how it works. They're normally looking for peaks and troughs. That's what you, when you actually look at the information, it's just normally a graph, not a an amazing picture of the universe. Mm. So that's what makes puts people off because you say, well, we've made this great array. Can I see the pretty picture, please? And scientists have to go, um, well, um, there's not, it's not, it's not like that. Um, <laughs> uh, but still, yeah, you go. Well done for Australia for creating the Australian Square Kilometre Array Pathfinder. Woo! It's a pity it's so square. Could be a bit cooler. <laughs> You have been listening to Smart Enough to Know Better, a podcast of science, comedy, and ignorance. And I am Greg Wah. Do the, do the email address. They can't contact you with just your name. Oh, I am Greg Wah, and you can contact me at greg at smartenough.org. 
And I'm Dan Beeston, and you can contact me at dan at smartenough.org. Or, if you'd like to chat to people who are like-minded or unlike-minded, jump into our forums and have a bit of a Barney. Or join up and, and see what we're saying on Twitter at at 2E... No, wait. At... Join us on Twitter on at 2... No, wait. At sign join SE2KB. <laughs> ah, Twitter, you crazy thing. And also of there's course. Facebook. I've heard this. I still haven't seen it. That's all right. It's fine. It's fine without and, you. Uh, and if you've got anything you want us to talk about, please get in contact. Send us an email. We're always interested in what you have to say. Oh, and get onto Apple, onto iTunes, and poke us in the star. Right in the star. Give us the highest star rating you can. If you give us little reviews, that will push us even higher once again. And more people will join us with science, comedy, and ignorance. Thank you very much. Good night. Out. <laughs> and, hang on, wait. You're going to do that? You're going to slow down the microphone. Like that. All oh, right. Woo! But I, I, these are expensive microphones. Oh, damn. Well, they're not, but I'm just very poor. <laughs> he put it to his face. He, he, he turned it around. I, I, I passed him the gun. First thing he did with it was turn it and put it in his, point at his face. And I was like, oh, yeah. And then he pulled the trigger and shot himself in the eye. <laughs> uh, and, 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 and I went... That was as dumb. It looks as dumb. And he's like, oh, oh, God, Jesus. And I was like, I'm sorry. I have no sympathy. You don't. Why would you? Why? <laughs> he's lucky it was Nerf and wasn't, you know, slightly stronger because it would have smashed his brain out. But anyway, it was weird. Even he admits later on it was dumb. Well, like, yeah. lucky, lucky it was Nerf and not a 48. Yeah, yeah. Or, or just, it's just an odd thing to do to point it at your face. Uh, look, I've put my finger in an electrical socket to find out whether it was plugged in or not. That's pretty weird. It was. How do you humans breed? Well, look, I only needed to learn that lesson once. Well, that's, yeah, that's, this is true. This is true. Can we start off? Yep, all right. Me? Oh, no, yes. no, no, no. What? You. Who? What? Go. 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 What? Go. Well, how many? What? Stop. Don't pressure me. Stop thinking of <laughs> Don't, you know. It's, this is not. You've been talking for 45 fucking minutes. <laughs> We've had a great Stop. conversation. <laughs> The one time you're supposed to stop! I'm talking. enjoying talking to our guest because he's clever! <clears throat> and now. now? <laughs> so it's because I know him, it's weird. It's, uh, normally we have an interview, we, we, play, we play a lot nicer. Just stop! 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 Welcome to no, the interview no, part! No, 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 no! I'm starting this damn thing! Right. This is happening. Is that Kevin's actually known us both for probably at least a decade, and yet still, like all of our interviewees, he's standing there with this kind of stunned look in his face going, they really do just go on and on, don't they? <laughs>